0: Great pleasure to have Kyle M. Raystrick uh, from Team Pro Coach on the podcast. Second time we have actually been on him. We did a podcast a long yeah. time ago.
1: I think you were in the UK when we first went on.
0: I was. And uh, we're now doing it in person in Dubai. This is a second attempt to trying to do it in Dubai after we actually booked in a podcast and I texted Kyle yeah. Being like, oh, do you want a coffee? He's like, what do you mean? And he was in the UK and we thought he was in Dubai. <laughs> yeah. uh, Michael behind the camera, well done for organising that one. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk all about uh, what you're doing with Team Pro Coach, yeah. uh, bodybuilding, some anabolic steroid use, health. Uh, and go a little bit down that sort of tangent. So firstly to run into things, you're doing the seminar obviously here in Dubai at the moment with uh, Luke and John. that has been phenomenal. I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, And is this something you're going to look to push throughout the world and continue to keep growing?
1: Yeah, me and Luke have done it domestically in the UK and then we went back over to the US and did it in Texas. So we've done um, two in the UK, one in Texas. And this will be uh, the first time that John's joined us. It was the original plan to get him in for the first one, but... John, um, obviously, it's, it's just getting schedules to align, isn't it? Um, but as a three, the goal is to uh, do more of that, you know, intercontinental, different places. There's, you know, somewhere booked overseas for, for December, which will be a really good one for us in terms of um, just tapping into somewhere we've never been before in a different, a different audience. Um, and I think it is that network of, like, the fitness industry is obviously very big, but when you're in this little niche that we're in, in terms of comp prep coaching, The circle that you actually build is not that big worldwide. So you only need to network with a few people to then open so many doors. It's like the same same thing with like Dungeon Gin and and, and Abdullah. Building those relationships now will allow us to, you know, do future events here and and build upon that. So it's it's very, very cool.
0: So you've grown obviously Team Pro Coach and obviously with Muscle Mentors before uh, quite dramatically over the last year or two. Would you Mm. say networking is one of the key things that you've done?
1: Yeah, yeah. you know being around the right people and building relationships with the right people and nurturing them Um, it was the same when we had the muscle mentors in uh, I think we started that in 2017 2018 and we stopped that in 2020 2021 early um, and then launched pro coach in uh, September 2021 I think it was but that was the same notion of you know you you take the people around you I took took the team with me that was at the muscle mentors so you kind of have a have a you know build a foundation there and then It's quite unique in regards to this industry, like a lot of your clients then become almost like your valuable assets in terms of the network that you build and it's, um, you know, business to business, it's, you know, you you nurture that on both sides. So, it's just getting, building relationships with people and allowing that to open up opportunities. When you first started in the fitness machine, obviously I remember you
0: were at M10 before, I remember Mm. seeing photos of you when you were about 50 pounds smaller. (laughs) Did you think you would have gotten to this point where you are now and doing comp prep coaching or was this something you'd always envisaged of what you wanted to achieve?
1: Um, I think I moved to M10 on the vision of wanting to move down uh, like w- what was referred to as like physique coaching before, so like two or three years ago, the buzzword was I want to be a physique coach in the fitness industry, right? And that was more so like blanketed over photo shoot preps, transformations. M10 was driven around transformation-based Um, transformation based coaching but that was obviously the the large majority of that was non-competitors so gen pop but gen pop going in and having these changes that would go from you know your normal walk of life to then you know being really leaning a photo shoot so you're starting to expose yourself to the extremes of body composition now which is you know quite a cool thing when you first get into that and then i think the more i did that with gen pop to getting them in you know incredible shape for photo shoots and the more you got an eye of that, and the more I was around that environment, you know, there's the likes of uh, like Josh Maley is like Mr. Universe, now. he's now a pro, IFPB pro. Um, there's a couple of other guys that are around that circle that used to train in the gym and PT there. And the more I saw that, the more I kind of fell in love with that. Um, and then it kind of led me into there's a few people that I started coaching that wanted to compete or a few long-term clients that were like I fancy doing a a show now and they've done a couple of shoots with me and then one thing led to another and it decided to um, kind of build momentum from there do you set goals and have like a a vision of what you want to achieve next
0: three to five years obviously what you've done has been obviously impressive in terms mm. of what clients you've achieved. And I know obviously from your presentation yesterday in terms of mapping things out and mm. reverse engineering things back, mm. is that almost what you're doing within your life, like in terms of business and like relationships?
1: Um, bu- business, business, probably not like I'm not, I'm not the most business minded person. It's more so like looking at where, what I specialize in and, and it's making sure I'm the best I can be in that. And I'm, I'm very, very competitive and. uh, I'm very. I expect a lot of myself in terms of my coaching ability when there's like a competitive goal in mind, and I think that has has kind of nurtured the results and the results building the profile and the profile building the brand. It's not necessarily been like a, I've never been in a position where it's like I want to have a business that turns over this much or want to have a business that grows this quickly. It's more so like this is what I do for a, this is my real passion, and the better I get at that, the more successful I get. And the more successful you get, the more you don't accept not being successful, if that makes sense. It's like you. I used to go to a show and I'd be like, if a client looks good on stage, perfect. I'll get a photo with them and then we'll go home. And then it was like, right, I need, a, I need a client to get first call out. And then it was like, I need a client to get top three. And now it's like, I'm going to a show to win and I'll be really disappointed even if he gets second. So it's that mentality of like, it just changes over time and evolves. But it's the same as anything. Like if you're in a position where it's like you've earned... You know the business has turned over this much you never want to go backwards you only want to progress and go forwards which is a bit of a catch-22 but it's also the thing that keeps you evolving and moving forwards 100
0: percent. and i think that's one of those things i think ingrained in men is having a progressive mentality to that. make you happy because mm. otherwise you are like what's the fucking point like why am i getting out of bed today is it just yeah. to like just turn up and survive and i think mm. that's why everyone should have goals and things to strive for and i think that's why Bodybuilding and fitness is such a beautiful thing because everyone can ha- you have complete control of your own results, basically. Because yep. it's not like from a business point of view, um the virus that happened a few years ago like wipes your business out or the economy tanks or whatever. You control whether you lose body fat or build muscle to pretty much a hundred percent extent.
1: Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, uh,
0: and I think that's one of the unique aspects in life where that's the only thing where you actually have full control of everything. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's. That's the that's the thing. I think the the beauty of this industry and the beauty of coaching is the fact that the be- the more refined your skill set gets, and the better you get at coaching, and the better you know portfolio you can build from an athlete perspective. Especially now, working with competitors and the high level competitors. Um, you know, if you can deliver more on stage, the brand and the profile of the business grows by default. So you don't re- like. I I'd, I'd, it's only been like the last six to eight months where I've really like reinvested and paid a lot of attention probably the last year maybe where I've reinvested and paid a lot of attention to the logistics of the actual business and how it works and how I can you know systemize things and scale because we're now at a point where it's like well if I don't do that we're just kind of bottlenecking what is actually possible here and then it doesn't really make sense from a longevity perspective it's like I know I can't operate and coach like this for the next 30 years so I need some form of contingency plan in terms of what's set when I don't want to coach this amount of people but that structure wasn't there before because I was just focusing on these are my clients. This is what I'm focusing on. whatever happens outside of that happens, and then you know the more the more I became successful competitively on stage, or the more results I got, the you know it just grew by default organically, which is like sweep we're still moving forward. so that kind of tick box is in my mind. but now we're in a position where it's like you know you need to you need to pay genuine attention to actually putting things in place to allow that to thrive as it could. Because before there are a lot of things that weren't in place that I wasn't even aware of because I didn't really know you know what the syst- you know what the systems you need to have were, um, whereas now it's like you just I just need to be more aware of you know now we're bringing more coaches onto the team and you know I'm feeding more mouths so to speak in regards to having more people coming through the business and more people getting allocated to other people you know one of the responsibilities from a instead of just being a coach now is like as a business owner it's making sure that everything's running smoothly around that as well which is you know a new challenge in itself as a saying you said that in terms of like
0: learning things it's like you don't know what you don't know and yeah. suddenly when someone like shows you something like shit well, I was yeah 100 percent, and it becomes so obvious yeah uh and it was, was one of those things we were talking before about uh people using really high amounts of steroids and at the time the people go down a rabbit hole you don't realize what you're doing but it's yeah. like further down the line you look back and like, this was really obvious so i probably should yeah be
1: so it's, it's normally the it's normally that the mistake needs to be made for you to then have the reflection over what to actually change. It's very rare. Especially it's very rare when you're moving at a fast pace and you're very driven and motivated. It's very rare to proactively dodge issues. You normally stumble onto them and you're like, oh, let's take a step back and reevaluate that and then moving in a different direction.
0: What's the biggest challenge you've had from a business perspective?
1: Um I think when you're growing when you're growing a coaching business, it's bringing people on board that are the right people that uphold the standard that you want to maintain across the, the coaching so like we don't want to be in a position where we bring a coach on and we give them you know x amount of clients and that that client is expecting a, a certain standard of service or a certain result and that's under delivered because then all it takes is for them to go on socials or tell 10 people and then you're in a position where you you have this little bit of a tainted image over the brand that doesn't need to be there that then you're in a position where it's like well if i coach that individual i could have done better or whatever it might be so it's picking the right people luckily because we had the the muscle mentals previously the lads that i had within the muscle mentals team that coached with me I, I was you know very well versed with in terms of the, the relationships we built so when they came onto the coaching team for pro coach we had like a very clear understanding of what we wanted to do and what we expected of ourselves and then as we built the business from there i've basically just hand-picked coaches that have joined the team that have already been my clients before so they've already been mentored by me or they've already been coached by me through preps or whatever it might be so I'm very um, aware of the type of personnel what the values are I know they work hard I know they're disciplined I know they have genuine you know values that match mine and it's in a much easier fit like I could never be in a position where I put an Instagram poll out and being like you can apply for a job here and just pick a random person just because there'd be just too much in your mind just thinking what happens if this doesn't fit
0: I think there's a huge amount to be said about the most important thing in business is trust and trust in individuals. 100%, yeah,
1: 100%.
0: Uh, I think that's really the key.
1: Coming back to like
0: a, a bodybuilding perspective, obviously, how many people did you turn pro in 2022? 13. What would you say is the biggest factor that decided them winning versus and turning pro versus some of the other clients you had?
1: Um, I think within, within those competitive circles from a from a, from a coaching perspective, the the more results you get, And the higher you kind of move up that ladder and that chain. And the funny thing is now, you know, when I, you know, we went to so many different countries last year traveling for shows, and you start to get really well versed with the same faces that are at every single show. And there's this like, there's this UK tier, and then there's this like international tier of coaches that are all at the same shows that are always winning. So there's this like band of like 10 people that, you know you have the nod and you'll shake the hand you'll be like you know and then you'll see the next weekend in a different country and i think in that in that regard the the more you can spend time in those circles and have your face recognized and then also be successful in those higher pressure environments the more the cream of the crop in from a competitive standpoint start to trust you and then you start to get the inquiries where it's like I can't even believe that guy's inquired with me because for the first time it happens, the first time you get a big name on DMing in your Instagram, you think it's like spam and then you like scroll back and you're like, holy shit, i was followed that guy for like 10 years and now he's applied for coaching. So it's, you know, previously you would have never thought that would ever happen but if you consistently deliver in the environments that, a lot of the coaching stuff is like, it's just having the trust and the building enough authority for the people that are in those higher circles to have enough trust in you to get the job done and then once, once they've given you the little opportunity of like, you know, they've, they've paid for their first month of coaching and they're like, look, give me the plan and I'll follow it and let's go from there. Even if you don't have as many, you know, results or accolades as the previous coach who's done it for 10 years or whatever it might be, you just need to hit your mark and build a relationship and then it starts to flourish. And then you do that two or three times, the first, you know, one, two, three pro cards and then it just starts to accelerate at a very quick rate. Who was the first person who messaged you like, holy fuck, this is insane? Um, must be
0: someone for you to say to make that statement
1: I think in the UK In the UK when it first happened It was probably um, it was Ages ago now Probably Josh Bridgman when he first started coaching with me Because Josh was someone that had been That was obviously very big on social media That was the first one when I, when I was early on in coaching that I hadn't coached that many people And he, I think he was previously coached by uh, Jordan Peters and I think when Josh signed up and he was like, look, I wanna, I wanna move from the UK BFF, I wanna go enhance, I wanna turn pro, then that was the first time that, you know, I was in a position where I coached a client that had their own big following and I coached a client that, you know, put me on their platform that allowed allowed me to kind of flourish in terms of getting exposed to more people, getting the brand exposed to more people. And then once you're in a position where it's like, right, I did that. You know, I, I, uh, I did that. I got a few more. And then people like, um, you know, Brandon signed up for coaching. And then it happened again. You get another, you know, I remember I remember at Brandon's show, the first time he did a regional with me, it was in Maidenhead for the Two Bros show. And he won the overall there. And then we went to Ukraine. We went to Kiev for a pro qualifier. It was the first pro qualifier he did. He came second, I think. And then he had the year off and he turned pro this, this last year. But I remember that first show in Maidenhead. He put on his Instagram, hey guys, this is my coach. He's gonna go on Instagram live when I'm on stage. If you wanna watch me on stage, you know, follow him and, and go on Instagram live. And I got like 10,000 followers in the space of like 12 hours, just because people were just like, oh, Brandon's page, he's getting all these story views because it's a day he's competing. He's got so much traction. I think it was like eight and a half thousand followers. And um, that, that was the first time I was like, holy fuck, like this is nuts compared to like the traction and the pull that these individuals can get and then a, a, a few months after that you know you you get a, f- a few more individuals that and the most important thing there is like yeah it's the social media stuff and the rigmarole there that I, I try and not get too drawn into but they're like genuine athletes that have a lot of potential and they all genuinely have potential to turn pro which they've all turned pro that all those in all those first guys and girls that have, that have done that have all done that now and achieved it and now they're in the pro leagues it's not you know, it's not the influence that says this or that, and then it's like it do, it do, they don't deliver. Like they've all walked the walk, and I think that being in a position where it's people that have tried to do it before that haven't done it and fallen short, and then they've suddenly achieved that, you get a lot of recognition in terms of like there's a bit more authority with right. He can he can get the job done, or he can get the results, and um, then it started moving from like the fitnessy y type platforms to the actual. Pros and the and the high level competitive circles, um, and now there's like forty two pros on the team. It's like most of my clients are RPB pro. If you told me that like five years ago, my I'd have been like, nah, it's stupid. Do I
0: you wasn't. know it's a big difference coaching the pros versus amateurs?
1: Um, well the 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 objectives are obviously a lot more ambitious for one, which you know at the start when I had. People, you know, booking in for pro shows and I was in, the, it was a little bit overwhelming because it was like, well, I'm, you know, there's, the the stakes are high, there's people watching. Um, they've all got, you know, their own individual platforms where there's a lot of people that, you know, you see comments and you see this and that where there's an expectation. So it's like, I've got to deliver here. Um, and then you're also in a position where the, when, they're, when they're professional athletes, when they're in the IFPB particularly, um, there's prize money involved. They've got their own sponsors that they need to uphold, you know, success with. And the, the better they do, the better they, you know, thrive from a, from a um, financial perspective. So there's a lot of pressure in terms of actually delivering. Whereas when you're working with a regional competitor or you're working with someone that's doing the first show, the, the, the pressure is more so them just ex- what, what to expect of themselves and the coaching role is to just deliver them at 100%. But there's no expectation of winning necessarily. And now we were in a position where when when you're working with these pro athletes they're all they're all just competing to win so there's an expectation where it's like even if you know, there's loads of times where clients were getting second or third in big pro shows and it was still the fact that like nobody celebrated everyone was like that was a failure but like if you in the back of your mind you're thinking like I shouldn't be thinking like this but then when you uphold those standards and you and you want to push to a point where you're consistently winning in those environments, then you do need to be like that because if you're always satisfied with nearly perfect, then it starts to blur what I think you can push for, if that makes sense. Because you don't you don't get better from just constantly being satisfied with not achieving the highest you can.
0: I thousand percent agree with that. I think that's almost like every aspect of life. I think you almost need to be slightly you need to be like Fulfilled but slightly unhappy at the same. Yeah, time. yeah. Like, otherwise, you just you don't push yourself to keep going.
1: Yeah, yeah. because then it's not you don't have the reflection of like right. How can I? How Proof. can I? How can I hit the mark next time? Because you'll you'll end up just going and doing the same thing. When you get new clients coming to
0: you who maybe more amateurish, do you have to sometimes make them more realistic in terms of the goals? Sometimes they're way too ambitious with what they want to achieve. in Yeah, in the time frame.
1: Um, I think that's just like the coaching element of like once you've built a little bit of rapport and it might even be on the first call like if they've inquired and i can see on the the bio of the inquiry they've got these specific goals and then their photos come through and it's like they're they're a lot they're a lot further away from the mark than you thought they might be then it's just being realistic about how long it's going to take to get there but i think now we're in a position and uh, from a from a coaching perspective where we've got a lot of people over the finish line and we've managed to achieve those results when we actually say it there's a there's a Deeper level of understanding as to, well, obviously he knows what he's talking about, so I'm gonna to listen to him. Whereas if you didn't have the results to back it up and you hadn't walked the walk there, coaching-wise and competitively, that individual might get off that call and be like, well, I'm just gonna to go to another coach that's gonna tell me that I can do it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, people want yes, man.
1: They just want like they just want the person that's gonna give them the nod, sign them up and then throw them into the process and not think about it too much in terms of what the reality could be if they fell short. They just idolize, like, they glorify what well, I can only you know, do well here. Um, because they don't really know what to expect when they actually get to that competitive environment and they don't know you know, the standard that the show is going to be. They don't know how good they have to be to win. They have no comprehension of, realistically, what it's going to take to get to that goal. If you've got people that are coming in that have never competed before and they're like, I want to be a pro this season. And it's like, you've never done a show before. And sometimes you're going to get guys that can do that, but they're the, they're the 0.1%. Um, but I think the more authority you have, And the more trust people have in you to get the job done, the more understanding they have over, like, acknowledging the fact that if you said that, then it's like, right, I'll get my head down and I'll do what needs to be done. When you have some of these clients
0: coming to you, obviously, uh, PEDs are a huge aspect of bodybuilding, Mm. probably more so than they should be. People should probably focus on training and nutrition. Mm. Um, How do you have that conversation with them in terms of, like, risk to reward? I know you mentioned today, I think it was yesterday, that some people, like, literally just don't give a shit and do want to take everything under the sun. Yeah. How do you find, how do you try and control that conversation or that narrative?
1: Um, I think you've just got to have, like, I've always used the stance of, like, having awareness over the risk of the decisions that you make. And from a coaching perspective, you've got to have the ethical position of, like, when we said in the seminar, it's the ability to always have the stance of not, you know, do no harm as a coach, whether that's from a training perspective, whether that's nutritionally, having an awareness of how to program effectively. And when you're looking at PED use in, in bodybuilding, that's having direct direct you know connotations to their long-term health so it's something you can't mess up because it has ramifications beyond them you know having a tear in the hamstring or them having digestive issues because you've poorly managed their diet like it has genuine life-changing impacts Um, so when you're in that position I think the biggest thing is an awareness over the risk and then making them fully appreciate the fact that if they make those decisions. They've got to to be well thought out in regards to having to deal with the consequences if they happen. Because a lot of people that start bodybuilding, we've all been there. When you're not aware of the ins and outs of the ramifications long term, you feel like you're invincible and you're willing to do anything to progress. It's like, I'll worry about that later. It's never going to happen to me. But then the more you hang around the circles of oh it's happened to this individual because I've seen it before or I've seen blood work that starts to change over the long run or I've read these papers or I've gotten a, I've gotten awareness over like we said before with the lecture yesterday where it was like looking at a breakdown deep dive of what's actually happening with PD application and the more aggressive side of the spectrum with the heart kidney liver you know brain and the things that we know are happening because we can see it in literature and we can see it anecdotally and you know first person with coaching. Um, everyone's got a spectrum of goals, whether it's low level or high level in terms of competitive nature. And the guys that are on the lower level, you have just got to be realistic in terms of like you just you don't need to do this in terms of be that aggressive. And there's a system that we follow, and this is how I'm going to coach you. And they'll understand. If they don't understand, then it's not going to work. Because um, ethically, if I've got a posi- if I've got a client that is just being reckless is what they're doing, and they're not listening to me, it's not a coaching relationship I can maintain. Um, if you're trying to educate them and they're not listening. But if you've got a client that's fully understanding of the process and you're like, look, these are the decisions you're going to have to make, this is how you get there, but I'm going to put you in a position where you're taking the least amount of risk possible but still progressing and still being competitive, that's the best solution to be in. You are going to get some people when you get to the higher competitive level where there's a much more skewed relationship between risk to reward over the, the side of reward over being mindful of risk. And they're the they're the individuals that will be willingly happy to make the more they are still calculated, but make the more risk uh, riskful decisions as opposed to being risk averse. And nine times out of ten, within bodybuilding, we've got to appreciate the fact that if you are going to spend a lot of time in those winning environment, like winning circles, and you're going to be on the right side of a decision, judging wise, you know they are going to be the p- people that are going to be willing to take those risks. It's very rare for people to be in those circles consistently that aren't. Um, but then a coach, the coaching side is like we said in the seminar, the other side of the coin is well, what can we put in place if we are going to make those more high risk decisions what can we put in place to actually ensure that we're doing everything we can to keep your health in in a manage, manageable place and what we, what, what can we doing, what, what can we be doing month to month, day to day year to year to monitor the potential changes that are occurring so if we do feel as though things are taking a turn for the worst, we can put things in place to stop that happening have you ever had to turn clients away who have gone
0: to the abusive side, who won't listen in terms of reigning in drug use?
1: I've had to. I've, I've had clients that have not signed up um, if I'm not willing to uh, if I'm not willing to step into a process with the position they're currently in. So it's happened quite a few times. Funnily enough, a lot of, a lot of the individuals have been female, not male. But if it's females that are starting a prep, where I'll get them to run blood work and their blood work is poor. And I know they're already on potential, like they're on compounds, they're on these substances, whatever they might be. And I'm giving them the layout of like, look, this is not a position you want to be in long term. And what you're doing now is not conducive to making any of this better. And they're like, but I've got a show in eight weeks. I'm not going to be in a position where I'm going to say no to prepping them or... If I say, look, I suggest, strongly suggest we do this first, then they're going to go to another coach, and you'll see them. You know, you'll see them on social media the week after sign up with X and because X, X and X, you know, have have skewed have skewed um, values in terms of what what stands they take ethically. Um, but in that situation, it's like if they're making those decisions, then you just can't you just can't be in a position where you're well where where you're ready to be part of that. But it is the fitness industry where it's like if you if you say no to someone, you will see them the next week. Just sign up with the next person. What's the most ludicrous cycle you've
0: seen when someone's come to you? I imagine you see oh, some crazy, st- shit. stupid stuff. Yeah, stupid stuff.
1: And it's normally the people that it's not normally the people that you'd look at inquiry and go, Jesus, they can be really good. They're, they're, you know, they're going to be a top level pro or they're going to be on the Olympia stage. It's usually the people that genetically don't have the genetic prowess to go a long way in bodybuilding. And the way they're forcing progression is just through drug abuse. That And that's the individual that shouldn't be, the reality of it, that's the individual that shouldn't have the higher level competitive aspirations of bodybuilding. They're just, they're, they need to be in a position where they accept the fact that they're never going to look like, you know, Nick Walker they're never going to look like that because genetically for for, the, for them to get there they'd need to, to to abuse so much nutritionally you know PED PED wise that they're going to compromise so much in the process it's not worth the it's not worth the journey going there so it's pulling them back down to a, the reality of like you're your own individual and you know you should be setting your goals off what's realistic because they're still going to give you just as much satisfaction and reward it's just you know People will, you know, it's the difference between, like, if you have somebody competing in the NPC, say you this year, if you set goals of, I want to get a top five in really competitive NPC shows, or I want to get a top three, or I want to win, those are all realistic goals. Whereas if you've got a client, or if you said to me, I want to be a Mr. Olympia next year, well, you know that that's never going to happen. And you know that even if you had those goals, what would be required for you to get there would be ludicrous. But it's the it's it's the individual that blocks out the risk factor and just removes that from the equation. That's the situation which is messy.
0: How do you think? How do you actually control that conversation with clients? Do you just find do you find men are worse than that or women?
1: They're, they're both just as bad. Um, they're both just as bad. Women. The only situation with female competitors and athletes is. You're dealing with a much more fragile situation. Hormonally. Yeah, hormonally, physiologically. And you're dealing with issues that if you've got a male and, you know, there's there's an individual at the seminar today who's had a, who's had a stroke in the last 12 months. And he's, he's competing again because he can manage that and he can stay in control. And if he's in a position where he sees things take a turn for the worse, then you know, he'll wrap that up and he'll move on into a, you know, he'll he'll replace bodybuilding with something else competitive or he'll replace bodybuilding with something else that gives them the same, gives them the same, you know, reward. Um, and that's what, what you see a lot of these guys that compete, that stop competing, they might go into endurance sports. They might start doing jujitsu. There's, you know, you saw Jordan when he stopped bodybuilding for, I think he is starting again now, but when he stopped for a period of time, he started doing more conditioning work in jujitsu because it's a discipline that you're just transferring skill over. Um, But for females, the the risky thing is, and when you're looking at viralization and androgen use, once it's done, it's done. Like you're not taking a step back from that. Um, And you're going to get certain competitors that they're usually in the circle of the female competitors that are competing in divisions and categories that basically require that as part and parcel of what they're doing to achieve the look they want to achieve. So like WPD, women's physique or women's bodybuilding. Most of those girls have just accepted the fact that there's going to be a some, some level of compromise there long-term. But if we're in bikini or wellness or figure, there's that skewed line of what you're willing to do to get there. And then nine times out of ten, that situation where they say, I'm willing to do anything. In 15 years' time when they want to have kids, in 15 years' time when they're sat at home as a, as a mum and they've got two children, there, or well, maybe they couldn't have children at all, they're going to have that little voice in the back of their head like, why on earth did I do that when I was... Twenty, twenty-two,
0: twenty-four. It's one of those things. I went to the Olympia Vegas, obviously, as you did, and yeah. I found out from what a friend, what some of the top bikini competitors were like taking, and I was like, holy shit! Mm. I, like, didn't even I didn't correlate like the level that they were like pushing stuff to. Yep. Which for me just seems like insanity.
1: Yep. Which is why uh, you know, in some of those situations, you're going to see some of these competitors rise, and then they'll just fall off the face of the earth, or they'll have to stop competing, or they'll retire early and you know a lot of a lot of the top level athletes in this in those circles they will be more aggressive but they'll also have an understanding of you know what they need to put in place and the monitoring they need to put in place to manage that because the higher level the coaching gets and the higher level the sponsors get and the higher level the facilities they're training in get and their network gets you know they're probably going to have you know some form of physician or doctor that's going to work alongside them or their coach is going to be averse in um monitoring blood work and tracking those things so they can make the decisions the 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 the, usually the more risk high risk situations are the national level or the regional level competitors that don't have those voices and input externally and objectively that say, like, dude, like, you should stop doing this. Or if it's a female competitor, it's like, you really don't want to be doing this for for a long period of time. Those are the riskful situations because those are the people that don't have the resources around them to tell them any different.
0: With your own bodybuilding career and training, obviously, you pushed up to, like, 300 pounds. Yeah. Did you turn back on that and obviously bring your weight down because of
1: health reasons? I just didn't need to be there. I just didn't need to be there. When I when I made the choice, I competed once in 2019. I did one show. I won that show and it's like, right, never, I've never lost, a, done. never lost a bodybuilding show. <laughs> How many have you done? One. Um, I, w- I wanted to go through that process to, you know, more so, I, obviously, I, I love I love training and um, I love bodybuilding as a sport. I, I love watching that in terms of like being at shows, being at the Olympia, being at these shows in the US, you know, being at the Arnold's, whatever. But I didn't really get when I was up there myself on stage, I didn't really get much from that in terms of the actual stage time. It was obviously great to like see, see the process through, but I didn't love the the element of being on stage. I just loved the process of actually getting there in the first place. And training's always gonna be a big part of my life because it's just something I really enjoy to do. And especially the more busy you get and the, 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 the higher stress levels get trainings then just an escapism in terms of like, I need to train to keep my focus and keep clarity because once I leave the gym, I could go to the gym with a million things in my head and then if I put my phone in airplane mode and put some music on my ears and just train for an hour, I can go to the gym just, w- w- you know, with some with some clarity back in my mind. When I when I when I kind of made the choice like I'm not going to compete again because it doesn't really give me anything that I don't get from coaching, and I get probably more satisfaction out of taking these guys and girls on stage than I do myself. It's like that's fine. Um, but you're also in a position where if you're 300 pounds and your body wants to be. 230 pounds at like its happy set point just living normally and not forcing food and not using PEDs it's just an unnecessary level of risk that accumulates from being there Um, and we spoke about a lot of that stuff yesterday in terms of you know being in a position where the high risk factor for a lot of cardiac issues and the, the silent you know as morbid as it sounds the silent killers within bodybuilding are Long-term blood pressure irregularity, long-term, um, you know, uh, issues and, and influences on the heart and and cardiovascular health. Um, those are the things that really start to bite back, but a little bit later in life, not in the first ten years. And you see these people. You've, you we've seen loads over the last five years. Big, high-level bodybuilders that have passed away, Sean Cedric, people like that. That. Um, you know Dallas McCarver was probably one of the first ones that it happened to right and then when you see people like that like passing away and they're in the mid-20s you're like Jesus like this is this is not right and then it makes you second guess it Um, but the more I kind of learn and develop my refinement from an education standpoint in when we're teaching people you know these things and like like we're doing this weekend at dungeon it just didn't make sense in my head to discontinue in that manner in terms of like I don't need to be 300 pound or why why am I 300 pound when you know, I'm out of breath all the time. You know, I've got, you know, lower back pumps just walking the dog in the morning and um, my blood pressure is a little bit higher than it needs to be my resting heart rate is a little bit higher than it needs to be. I've got to use a sleep apnea mask at night to, you know, for, for my fiancé not to break up with me because I'm snoring so loudly. It's, um, it's just inconvenience. And as much as I love bodybuilding, it's not it's not enough to know for a fact that I'm kind of doing long-term long term I'm not it's not damage but it's risk that doesn't need to be there. If I was competing I'd happily do it. But I'm not. So I've got I've got I've got competitors that we spoke about Nathan Styles today. Nathan's just turned pro and he's 340 pounds in the off season. He'll probably get to m- the mid three fifties, which is ludicrous, he's enormous. But he's also one of competing as a professional athlete or he wants to do bodybuilding. And he might compete, you know, competitively as a professional for the next three, five years, whatever it might be. But he's also understanding of the risk. You know, we're very, uh, you know, we have we're very diligent with how we monitor his blood work and how we look after that side. And he's also understanding of the fact that if there was something that ever happened and was flagged up, you'd pack it in because you know, you know, it's, you know, it's not worth the risk of potentially like significant issues with your health. Um, but it's different when you're competing because your mind's in a different place. And you've seen, you know, you've seen that yourself in your own prep, like you know when you when you stop prep and you look back you're like jesus christ did i really do that but when you're in prep and you're in your little bubble and you, all you think about is doing well and beating that last stage package or winning your show whatever it might be you know even when i was prepping in 2019 it was like whatever goes goes like i've got to i've got to win my show or i've got to look a certain way because you don't want to fall short and as funny as it sounds in this industry i think that's probably exacerbated from that social media aspect of like there's an expectation and you don't want to go you you know as silly as it sounds like i remember i remember when i was stood backstage for my for my show it was in birmingham birmingham town hall for the pca and um i remember stood backstage and before we went and pumped up in the back area i i uh i was messaging jordan jordan peters was coaching me and he was like um You know, it's just giving the last few instructions and I was like, sweet, I'm going to go backstage in a minute and um, leave my phone in my bag. And then the last thing I did in my uh, bag before I turned on, like the Instagram logo is at the bottom of the page. And I was like, in like an hour's time, I'm going to have to go on Instagram and like tell everyone how I'd done. And like, I'm now in a position where I'm started to, uh, you know, first start to establish myself as this, this coach that, you know, only wants people that win and only, only wants to, you know, achieve high results. If I don't win, I'm going to look like an idiot. And that little thought came into the back of my mind and then I opened the door into the backstage area and then just focused again. But it's little things like that, like it's the expectation. And that for a lot of people, when you're in prep and you're like, I can't fall short because I've got so many people expecting me to win and what are they are going to say if I don't win? That pressure is what, what you know, cultivates the decisions that probably don't need to be made or the decisions that you might not have made if that wasn't there.
0: Do you find with some of your clients who are more uh, social media famous, for example, that mm. you struggle with the pressure that comes with that?
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, whether it's whether it's people that whether it's people that make people aware of that on their platforms, whether it isn't, the major, the large majority of the large majority of them will be. And that sometimes materialises in maybe them not posting as much content towards the back end of their preps because they just want to get their head down and they don't want to listen to the the noise of the of social media. Um, particularly as a particularly as a pro, or when you start getting into you're trying to you're trying to win a pro card, or you're trying to do this or that, and then you're in a position where you're posting update photos, or you know the bodybuilder that borders is reposting your checking pictures, and then there's 26 comments, and it's like ah. Oh. I'm, dro- I'm 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 wait- i'm waiting for you know i'm waiting for a machine in the gym it's like what of what of uh, the comment what are the comments saying and then one comment will like just stay in your mind forever and it'll be like why is it why are like why are his legs so small or he's never going to do well or whatever it might be you know and it's just noise it's just absolute bollocks but um that that environment there just builds internal pressure that potentially didn't need to be there before because it is like material like social media is a as a thing, nine times out of 10, those comments would never happen in, in person. Nobody would say most of those things. If, if I was sat here next to you and this was a, you know, a troll on social media, they'd never say it to the individual in person ever. They'd probably even be respectful. They'd be like, oh, nice to meet you. And just like put on a front because they don't want to have confrontation. But if you're behind a screen and you're behind an account that, that has a random name or whatever it might be, they'll say whatever they want. And then you take that to heart and it doesn't, it's like YouTube comments. YouTube. Things like YouTube's that. super harsh before. you could have like 400 comments and one of them's terrible and you'd only focus on the bad comment and like even from a coaching standpoint I don't go on those pages now I don't go on you know I'll like the photo and i would never look at comments because it pisses you off because it's like this one there's one something meaningful and then you, like meaningless and then it takes one comment to get in your mind it's funny you say that because
0: it just reminded me that I, I get a lot of negative stuff sometimes and there are always people you try and reply mm. and there's like, oh, so-and-so does not allow to be mentioned in the comments. So you can't even fucking reply to them. So yeah, it's yeah. like a one-sided fight.
1: Yeah. It's not even worth looking at. No.
0: I think that's a huge thing. In terms of like your own productivity and work, is there anything you do? Obviously, I know you work retarded hours and like mm. sit up until two o'clock in the morning on your laptop um, and also travel the world 24-7. Mm. Is there anything you do from a like a cognitive point of view to like optimise... Your performance from a work point of view or you're being structured in terms of like maximizing your output in terms of what you do day to day?
1: I think <laughs> like the, the way we, like the way I've got into the pattern of like how I get through my workload and how I stay on top of that. Some of it's just like, you just got to get it done and it might not be optimal in terms of your routine with the time it takes. But some of that is, you know, systems and, you know, running through sheet, like coaching sheets or, how you're presenting plans to clients that don't take long. So when you're making adjustments, it's a really efficient process of making the adjustments, sending the feedback and, and getting it gone. Um, instead of like maybe three years ago when I was doing that, it was probably really inefficient. So I was like doing stuff via email or I was writing out emails as feedback. And then it's like, you know, if I'm if I'm making one update that takes half an hour and I've got 20 to do for that day, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think you get more efficient at that. I'm a firm believer of like making bread whilst the oven's hot, so I know for a fact that I'm not going to be able to sustain this for the rest of my life, and I also know that like we're trying to have um we're my we're trying to start a family now, and um, my missus is in a position where it's like no she wants to she wants to have a a child, and I even know when we when we have a kid like I'm going to have to change a lot of the things that I'm doing and mould that around that kind of family aspect, but that's fine because you know that was always the goal. But at the moment, especially when you're in that first like five years of like real growth, and you know, I still feel I'm in that phase, you've just got to do everything you can to try and grasp onto it and, and nurture it because that's ultimately going to be what's going to set you up when you're, you know, 40, when you're 50. That you can't be in a position where nine times out of ten, you probably won't be able to work to that capacity and you probably don't want to 20 years down the line. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't, the, the, uh, the irony is with coaching, with what I do now, and even like long hours, if I wasn't doing it, I'd be forcing myself to not do it. And if I wasn't doing it, I'd just still be thinking about it anyway. I'd, I'm happier doing it than, I'm, than I am not doing it, if that makes sense. Because it's not something I see as like, I remember leaving, leaving university, and I worked with my, I worked at Michael Page in London in recruitment. Yeah, And, I'm okay. and I hated every minute I was in that office. And like I couldn't wait to leave, and I was dreadful at it because it was like I just didn't want to be there. And I had to cold call people and like ring people that didn't want to talk to you. And I was on a buying a merchandise recruitment team where I, I was the only male on the team. So all these all these girls were like London based, really into fashion, knew all the people that managed the stores, and were like killing it. And I was still like, I have no interest in this whatsoever. Um, but when you're in those environments, you you you, you dislike the effort that it takes to become successful and you dislike the process to get there whereas when I'm in a position where I'm coaching athletes and it's bodybuilding related and it's physique related I love it so it's like it doesn't it, it's not arduous in any way because I like doing it and like yeah sometimes it's inconvenient but you know if, if it allows me to live the lifestyle I want to live and it provides you know us you know my family with the lifestyle we want to live then if it takes longer then it takes longer it's, it's completely normal uh, it sounds very similar to me with work for me like
0: work is like fun and enjoyment and yeah. like doing so it makes my brain like tick yeah. and it's like someone
1: said to me the like, other what would you do if I won the, won the lottery and it's like exactly the same as I do now because yeah. I know what I'd do if I won the lottery I'd, I'd reinvest it into building a business and I'd open up a gym yeah
0: probably, i probably actually that's one of the things I think I said I'd just buy a gym and I wouldn't care if I made any money or not yeah. and I'd just, just invite my
1: friends to come and train. open a massive gym and like just fill it with the most awesome kit and just invite people to train there and just spend all your time there
0: is that, you know, it's you not know, like
1: Alpha Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Guzman, I'd just build that in the UK. That would be, be the dream. And it wouldn't even matter if it made any money. As long as it could like, sustain, then sweet.
0: With your clients who are coming to you, what do you find is the, the biggest thing you have to correct that's holding them back in terms of making the biggest amount of progress? Um, drugs, nutrition, training, or adherence, mindset?
1: Mindset's a big one. Which I think is like bought into the coaching culture that you, uh, the culture that you make as a coach in terms of like the values and what the athletes expect of themselves after they've spent time there, and they're like the actual like genuine self belief that comes from that, and like the belief that I can actually do it, and then it reflects in their actions and it reflects in how hard they work. Um, the nutrition is something that's obviously molded over time, but nine times out of ten, the people that I'm working with now that are of a certain level, you know, they're pretty close to where they need to be. It just, it's just a case of them now being objective and allowing me to make the decisions because it might have been made if they're coaching themselves. Particularly, it might have been being made on a more subjective basis before, which is probably not optimal for the pursuit of your goal if you're making emotional decisions. PED usage is something that's like risk. Like I said, it's it's just risk management, but maybe they need to be more aggressive if they want to achieve those results or maybe I need to slow them down in terms of how quickly they're moving Um, and then training is another one where it's like the management of that normally people that start are probably doing too much because maybe what they're doing wasn't a listing the results they wanted and then they're like well I can just do more and see if that works so they're in a little bit of a, a mess in terms of the management of that I think it's just a collective management of all those variables and then just tweaking things and optimizing things it's never normally like one like gaping obvious reason it's more so like just little variables that you're pulling from different departments of the coaching process and then collectively that's like making a big change over time
0: what's um with those people making a change do you find that the majority of people are having to rein back in on drugs rather than push them harder
1: yeah, like if, especially the higher level pros, it will be it will be like a refinement process in terms of like figuring out what their actual requirements are, and then once we have found those initial requirements, then you can advance from there. But nine times out of ten, they're probably well surpassed that when you actually got them in the first place, and then you have to pull them back, and then you can inch them forwards again in an appropriate manner instead of making these massive jumps that don't need to be that aggressive. And then when it comes to like people that. When it comes to people that might be new to it or that might be newly introducing it, I think the biggest thing is just starting them off at a pace that's appropriate for where they are. Because we all know, like, the, you know, if you ask the, the the lad in your gym, he's like, two mil a week, start at two mil a week, anything less than two mil, you're not going to make any progress. It's like, what do you even mean? But like, when you break that down, how can we how can we approach that in in a manner that allows to Maximize the runway of time that you have to make progress without running into any issues. And like the big thing for coaching, there is like people will want to use more than they need to at the start, and it's it's buying them into the process of being a little bit more patient with it. But you can still make the exact same amount of progress. It's just you're taking a slightly different different route to get there, which is a little bit more optimal with longevity in mind. It's a very serious question. Do you and Hader have matching hand tattoos? We do, yeah. Did you? Get I together? got it first, though. You didn't get it together then. No, nah, no, no. I got it in Texas when we after the after the te- Texas Pro was it yeah after we, we went to we went to the Tampa Pro and then after the Texas Pro I got it cuz me and Loki woke up one morning and we were like Loki was like I want to get a tattoo and then I went with him and I wasn't I wasn't going to get a tattoo and then when we were stood there it, we were like we are in this really cool Texas uh, um, tattoo parlor like the dude in there that was working with like this Hispanic Mexican guy that was like covered in face tattoos and he was showing us some of his work and then I was like oh fuck it I'll just get one and then I was like, where should I get it? I was like, should I get it out my arm? And I was like, "And then I, I can't remember who I saw. Some It was Jordan Shallows. So I was like, when we came over last year, Jordan Shallows has burned the boats on his fingers, doesn't he? And I was like, that's the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. And then when I was in there, I was like, I'm going to get some bigger tattoos. <laughs> and then we, we got it. And the guy was like, you can get them as, as your first tattoo if you want. And I was like, yeah. And then Because I, I knew I wanted to get more. But um, I remember when I saw his, because uh, he's covered in tats, right? It's it and then it's like, because you're the same, right? Yeah, exactly. Jordan I saw Jordan's. Every f- time I see Jordan, he's on Instagram getting fucking tattoos. More tattoos, yeah. Well, when I, even when, though I, I tried
0: to He's trying to get me to get a tattoo. I'm like the only guy in fitness who doesn't have a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> when I uh, when
1: I saw those first tattoos, I was like, that's so cool. I was like, I need to do that.
0: Ironically, the only place I'd to think about it, a tattoo was on my hand, like my, yeah, like, my palm, hand. which yeah. looks quite cool. Where it
1: like leads down to you because yeah. the goal was like I was gonna get that, but then I was gonna get other things to like go alongside it. It's a problem. <laughs> what did the missus say? Um I think she probably isn't surprised about my decisions now. She's like, oh, she's, she just shakes her head. I think it was more so my, because my mum and dad both follow me on Instagram. Thought, and, like, they're both teachers. That my, my dad's like an ex-headmaster for, like, 30 years. And <laughs> I remember down. I didn't speak to them for, like, five days. And then my dad wrote, like, I saw the dad on my, on my iPhone. And I was like, I know what this chat's going to be like. And it was like, any news then? And then, uh, yeah, but they're fine. They're fine.
0: So a good question for you, actually. I think it's probably a lot relevant to the audience. How would you recommend managing uh, bodybuilding in a serious relationship? Obviously, you're trying for kids now, mm. and uh, I can be a bit, I was a bit of a dick probably when I was in prep, and just generally people are. Any advice from people managing that scenario, and what you say to clients to stop them like throwing everyone out of their life doing that? Um,
1: I think, especially if you want to pursue it over the long course, and you want to pursue it competitively, you need to have a partner that understands and it's quite hard if that individual's never been exposed to bodybuilding before and you might need to go through one prep which is like testing the waters to start and then when you go when you go through a second prep they're a little bit more understanding of what to expect because they've seen you come out of that post-show environment and they've seen you change back to your normal self again they've seen you become more patient they've seen you less erratic you know you're not hungry anymore you're not fatigued anymore you know the back end of prep you don't you want to stay in your little bubble you don't want to you know, you don't want to spe- spend showing her emotion. Yeah, it's, that's, that's the thing though. Like, I remember being in the back end of prep in twenty nineteen, and like, I'd be sitting on the sofa with Hannah, and she'd like want to like cuddle up, and like, I didn't even want to sit on the same sofa. I was like, I just want to be in my own little bubble, and this as it was, you're in this really strange place, like psychologically. But it's just the environment you're in, and and where you're taking your body, and obviously. The drugs just amplify all those things. If you're using, if you're using different compounds to maximize the results of your physique, as we said before, with the with the impact it has on your brain, like it changes things and it shifts things, and like you've got high food focus, you've got high hunger, you've got very low energy levels. All those things exacerbate those personality traits that not that that are not optimal, that really aren't you in terms of like your own values and who you are as a person, because it shifts a little bit. You become a little bit more erratic, become less patient, whatever it might be. Um, and obviously, energy levels wise, if you if you're always tired at the back end of prep, you don't want to do anything. You just want to train. You want to eat your meals, and you just want to be in your own little bubble. Especially if you're busy with work. So when they suddenly want to go and go on that walk, or they want to go on a cinema, or they want to go on a you know a date night, you're like I can't be asked because I've got no energy. But then you get that back post show. So I think if it's someone if it's someone in a relationship where they haven't been through the, a, a prep before with the partner, then making them aware of like look things over the next twenty weeks, or whatever it might be, are gonna potentially go in this direction because of the goal I'm chasing but I'm also in a position where post-show you'll start to see a lot of that thing a lot of those things change that might have been might have been manipulated in the prep itself and then when once they've been aware of that one time when you come to revisit it it's quite a different process because I think the partner understands a little bit more in terms of like I've seen this happen before and you they kind of know the deal and you also appreciate the fact that potentially what they said after the prep if they said like this really upset me I didn't like this you're also going to be acknowledging the fact that if you start to clock things that happen again you're probably going to shift a little bit in terms of not allowing them to happen as much as they did before and sometimes you're going to you know you people are going to be in a relationship with people that um, have already been through that process or have already competed themselves and they have a deeper level of understanding like some I know a lot of people that that you know prep you know they're both prep they're both bodybuilders they're both physique athletes and they might prep at the same time they might prep at different times of the year but when you're both in a position where you understand the process then it's either going to be a match made in heaven or it's going to be an absolute train wreck and it's just learning learning how to kind of deal and communicate with one another and for the most part I think the most successful relationships that I see where they're both very heavily fitness industry based or they're both competitors are they're quite independent individuals in terms of like they can get on with their own stuff and they understand that individ- that other individual in the relationship needs their time and their space to get what they need to do done. And then you spend quality time with each other when when you can. When you can. And there's no pressure to think we should be spending more time together or this or that. It's like, look, you know, you you've got competitive aspirations or you've got business aspirations and we both have and you just you're in a position where the work needs to get done. It's not going to get done by itself doesn't it doesn't make the relationship suffer it's just having an understanding we're into the new year
0: start 2023 Mm. what what are your goals for
1: 2023 to start to wrap up um we are growing our coaching team and my goal is to continue growing the brand and and bringing coaches on and, and filling those coaches up um and then obviously from from a personal note competitively i want to beat 2022 and that was a that was a big big year in terms of in in terms of what we did on stage and 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 what athletes did and i want to surpass that because you never want to you never want to take a step back you always want to take a step forwards um start a family obviously we're we're trying to um try for for our first kid now so that's that's a goal um that will you know if we can box it off in the next couple of months then that'll be back end of the year or start of 2024 um it's just business and life orientated really um you know, I think business-wise, my own individual goals from a coaching perspective are always going to revolve around results and and wins and pro cards and pro wins and Olympia, um, you know, Olympia uh, tickets for for clients. And then around that, it's more so just a case of like the people close to me. It's just like discontinuing to thrive because if the business thrives, then you're almost in a position where everything else does. You just got to find the right balance. If you could give yourself
0: one piece of advice when you're 18, what would it be?
1: Mm. One bit of advice. Um, probably the, I think when I was when I was growing up and I was in school and I went to university and my brother was super smart and he ended up getting a job in banking when he left university and both my parents were teachers. I was in a position where I was like, I was very, uh, I, I was almost like, you're in a position where you conform to it's gotta be this way, or I've gotta I wanted to join the police for ages because my uncle was a policeman and I was like, that's straight and narrow, it's a simple job, whatever. And then when I started to get into the fitness industry, if I if I, if I if I told myself when I was 18 what I'm doing now, it would never even seem like it was possible. But it's the it's the notion, it's really cheesy to say it, but I'm sure you'll be the same, where it's like things become possible relative to the work that you're willing to put in. And it's also the fact that you're going to spend a long period of time trying to get to the position you're in where you don't feel like things are paying off to the to the magnitude of the work that you're putting in and reflecting it. So you feel as though you're constantly pushing harder and harder and harder and not getting things fall into place or not things materializing as quickly as you want. But then if you do that for three years, you'll look back and you will go, Jesus, like that's changed a lot. So the progression eventually comes. It's just you know, the whole notion of like you creating your own luck in business or in, you know, coaching, whatever it might be. If you win more, you earn more, whatever it might be. It's just from, it's just a reflection of the work that you put in and, and you know, probably the higher level that you get, whether it's business growth or whether it's coaching, the more calculated you have to be. But at the start, a lot of it's just groundwork, isn't it? It's just hours. It's just it's just putting in time. And just not having not having the little voice in your mind that says, I need to sleep eight. I need to sleep eight hours. Or I need to go to bed at this this time. I know you don't sleep for a fact. He messaged like, me like three a.m. Yeah, we were talking at three a.m. I think, but like it's it's just the it's the confidence to be your own individual. And it's the confidence to if you want to make those things happen. If if you have those like when you're late when you're in in your teens and you're eighteen, nineteen, whatever it might be, if you have those crazy ideas of like, oh, imagine if I could do that. It's like just do it because even if you fall short, it's gonna you're gonna surpass you're probably going to surpass anything that potentially was possible before because you've got those high aspirations. So just just hunt those goals down because like the journey is the the beauty of it and then obviously you're going to look back at some point and be like jesus like you know I, I did a lot or achieved a lot or whatever it might be. Um so having faith in your own ability to work and then just getting your head down and doing it.
0: I 100% agree. And I think that's one of the things that if I could talk to myself when I was younger would be put in the work earlier yeah. and harder so it mm-hmm. can compound for you for a longer period of time because people yeah, don't yeah. understand how like the compounding effect of like the hard work you've put in before stacks up over a period of time so I think yeah. like what you were saying now in terms of like taking advantage of coaching while you can so you can reap the rewards for the next 10-20 years is completely perfect thought yeah. process yeah 100% awesome thank you very much for the call uh, everyone who enjoyed the podcast make sure you leave us a 5 star review uh, subscribe and will see you next episode very very soon Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the episode. Now, if you are an online fitness coach or trainer, or you're Pete in the gym, and if you're serious and you want to scale your online coaching program to six or seven figures or more, if you click the link below the podcast and below the video, you can book in a free call with myself and the CJ coaching team with one of our scaling experts, and we'll build you out the blueprint for you to exactly get there. So make sure you get booked in for that if you're looking to grow your online fitness business to six, seven figures or more like we have at CJ coaching, and we'll see in the next episode of the podcast very, very soon.